I mean, we were. I was talking to Carl, and he's a real mild manner guy. When you meet him, it's he's pretty funny. I was like, so you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, I work at a bank, right? I work at Chase. He was like, we we deduced it. We figured out. He goes, we we deduced that. Yeah. Me and Carl just waiting in the wings trying to figure out how much we make. We can demand. We can demand. <laughs> <laughs> when we had our first, when we had our first meeting, I was very clear. This can be a cooperative. I'm well. I'm open to that. And <laughs> in, in a true, you know, this this is fine. I have no problem. Maybe you'll just start printing your own money. Oh, wow. <laughs> see, see, this is how we should have gotten into it. I hope we were recording because that was your yeah, first. Recording. That was all this, and your levels are fine. Oh, so perfect! Because yeah. that was your that was your best joke. You were worried about this being dry and, and writing jokes into your. I wasn't worried about more. being dry. I was worried about being um, jokes that didn't work. Uh, That's different. Print your own money. We're here again in the bunker in the shadow of Rockford Tower, mere steps from the bedrooms where oligarchs and their enablers sleep right in this neighborhood. Uh, and so we're going to give you a little uh, little idea primer. I've always been of the, uh, of the thought that none of you can be taught, that you're all basically dumb. And, and, and we, we, I just do this for fun. This is like masturbation for me. But people are trying to encourage me to, uh, to not believe that. So I'm, I'm bringing in to you today an idea primer about economics, about modern monetary theory. And I have a special guest, a friend of mine, Andrew. Hello. He, uh, he got his Ph.D. in economics from the University of Minnesota, I think. Yes. That's right. He was a professor at Washington State University in economics. Yes. He was also a visiting scholar at the Fed in Minneapolis. And Dallas, separately. And Dallas, Texas. Look, I'll tell you what. You motherfuckers are going to have to start paying for this show. I'm just telling you right now. So thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So there is a an idea that's gaining popularity in economics, sort of um, explaining how federal spending works. Uh, it's called modern monetary theory. It has a lot of political policy implications, but I wanted to start talking about it with, you know, the dummies so they can start trying to absorb some of this. So what is the basic uh, background and framework? Right. So so let me go all the way back. Yes, please. Which is we know of two tools that the government can use to affect economic outcomes. Uh, fiscal policy, which is government spending and taxation, and was the primary tool used through all of time into the early 1900s, and monetary policy, which is uh, the government creating a central bank to manipulate the, the monetary base, I'll use the word money supply, uh, to affect economic outcomes. So... Monetary policy is obviously about money, and money is a very weird thing. Um, there's really three reasons for money to exist. Medium of exchange, meaning it makes it easy to buy and sell things. Right? A store of value, someplace you can p put your assets. 
and a unit of account, meaning you can measure value with it. It's like the uh, yardstick for, for value. And the history of money is, of course, that it started out as commodity, as gold and silver. And then that was heavy. Say it was heavy to carry all that shit to whatever the shoe store when you wanted to buy shoes. Well, there, are, there are primitive societies used like big stones, but the stones never moved. Like didn't they, didn't they, they, they made just like checks in them. Or they knew that they had just the idea that it was there. Right, was a, was a, was, a, was a, had some. Well, sort that's of actually very similar value. to the way modern fiat currency works. So I'll get to that. So first, commodity money, then commodity-backed money, which is um, what probably most of the history of the world was, where you can exchange your currency for gold, and then fiat currency, which is what the U.S. has been on since 1971, where money only has value because you can use it to pay your taxes. And that's going to be one of the important aspects of modern monetary theory. So there really is no definition of money. You just measure how much there is in a certain way. And that is uh, probably the important one for this discussion is is the monetary base. I'll, I'll often just call it the money supply, which is physical currency along with um, the deposits that banks have with the Federal Reserve Bank. So explain the one thing you mentioned, because this is a, 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 an important concept, fiat currency. So we have sovereign currency, which really makes the theory work. Uh, can you kind of give a little level set everybody on what that is, what that means? Would you mind asking your question a different way? Yeah, like <clears throat> we have the currency that we print, we set the value of, and it's not – pegged to anything you mentioned uh, right. gold right uh, like the gold standard when we came off the gold standard in the right. 70s but in, in a, an important aspect of this theory is the idea that you know we're issuing this so you can because you can pay your taxes with it but when we have total control of it we print it we the money supply is under our so in the control. u.s there's some separation of power here so the treasury prints green pieces of paper but the Federal Reserve controls the, the money supply, and that's because they're able to sort of create and destroy money through doing one of three things, or now one of four things, um, changing the reserve requirement. That's the amount that the Fed says banks have to keep at the Federal Reserve so that there's not a run on the bank. Like 10% of a bank's uh, assets have to be held at the bank, and the bank can, the, the private bank can lend out the other 90%, right? So if the Federal Reserve makes that number go up, that's sucking in a bunch of money, meaning there's less money for the bank, the commercial bank to lend, and less available for everyone. Okay. The second is the discount rate. That's the interest rate that the Federal Reserve charges to banks that when they're short of their reserve requirement, that they borrow it from the, from the Fed. And the third is uh, open market operations, which maybe you've seen in the news. I'll, I'll take that. That big smile is yes, um, where the Fed buys and sells bonds to affect the interest rate that banks charge each other to meet the reserve requirement. And then the final thing is quantitative easing, where the Fed just buys and sells bonds directly. 
So let's get back to the question you you asked. Yeah. So the question is, all of the that those mechanisms are put in place be, because there are all ways that we create the money. That's right. And so it's it's so. But again, so not I a physical thing, not the paper. <clears throat> that's right. And when I and, and right and and I guess I should have been even more precise. We created through a series of keystrokes and accounting techniques and bond guarantees. So it's not necessarily the paper, but we have sovereignty over that process. It doesn't have to be. <clears throat> yeah, the Federal Reserve chooses some policy, which collectively is known as monetary policy, to set um, a money supply to achieve outcomes that it wants. Those outcomes are some combination of economic growth, which is achieved through low interest rates, meaning it's cheap to borrow to buy things, and uh, low inflation. So people that uh, are, say, uh, inflation hawks are very wary of the Fed having, through these means that I just discussed, a low interest rate relative to where they think the economy should be. And people who are unemployment hawks um, encourage the creation of money supply through a low interest rate because the idea is, well, if people are buying a bunch of stuff, you need people to make that stuff that they buy and unemployment rate will go down. Modern monetary theory has a different view of this. That's much more actually related, I think, personally, to fiscal policy than to monetary policy. So fiscal policy is the government's ability to spend and tax. The spending part directly is a direct measure of part of GDP. So you could, you could in theory, arbitrarily make your economy go up and down only through government spending. You could pay the government could pay people to dig a hole, fill in the hole, dig a hole, fill in a hole, dig a hole, fill in a hole, which seems absurd. It's not really creating anything of value, but that's in the GDP calculation. Yeah, and that concept's gonna uh, that's gonna come into play when we start talking about the the government spending part that has a political aspect to it, like political policy aspect to it. But yeah, it's an important point. So so get, getting to monetary uh, modern monetary theory, finally, the key difference with this view is that. Um, taxation can be thought of as monetary policy rather than fiscal policy because by changing tax rates, you're instead of affecting the supply of money as in standard monetary policy, you're affecting the demand of the only thing you can use to pay your taxes, which is U.S. US greenbacks. Dollars, US dollars. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's, that is the important concept to me is the idea that the way people think about things is actually because of this concept of, of sovereign money not really tied to these mechanisms. <clears throat> it, things that people believe actually act, act in reverse. You know, it's not supply, you're actually increasing demand for the, for the money, or the way that it's kind of thought of today is government spending is a mechanism of Congress appropriations. That's what it comes from, right? Yes. So the Congress appropriates money, and then the, the, the and that authorizes the spending of it. But that money doesn't come from your checking account from where the taxes go. They just spend the money. It's theirs to spend. They just spend it. 
And so that's where the reverse happens is people think it comes from somewhere and then it's spent out. And then if you run a deficit, you sell bonds or, or whatever you do. to. to well, the reverse is, I think, I th if you don't mind me interrupting you no, a little I bit. No, I would I, I'm going to I'm gonna challenge something a, a little bit here, which is so in, in the non-MMT view, the standard view um, in times of recession, fiscal policy would be to increase government spending. So the government's buying highways, and then they're paying people and putting people to work to build those highways and decrease taxes because then people have more money in their pocket, which they can then go buy stuff and shoes. And then the shoe people are, are buying employees. They're paying for employees. MMT spins that around and says, actually, what you should do would be to increase taxation, not decrease it, because that will create the demand for more money. So people will value, will want money more, which is going to pump up the money supply and lead to um, lower interest rates and economic growth that way. So, I mean, that's a that's a function of it, I guess. I just maybe maybe it's the same thing, and we just have different perspectives on it. Because from a political perspective, I I would say something like, well. <clears throat> It's, it's not necessarily the, – the first move isn't raising taxes. Like your first move when you explain it is the concept says, well, if you raise taxes, you can create a demand for money to pay your taxes. Right. But I would say that the political implication of modern monetary theory is that if the economy has enough value in it to, to collect taxes and you know that you have the resources and you have the assets to do it, the, the Congress can then appropriate and spend money to do whatever the political will thinks would improve things. And then that that actually – then you can tax that back if you need to tax it back depending on the growth of the economy. That's fair if enough. If you believe it. But See, I guess I, I, I want to try to get away from a political sense that the first move is it says you can tax more. You can, but really the first move is that there's no barrier <clears> – <throat> There's no barrier about how the federal government can spend money because the re there's assets on the other side. No, but the reason why this is – the MMT is controversial is because suppose we're in a recession right now and we all agree, everyone agrees, that the government needs to do something to help us get out of the recession and put uh, – decrease unemployment. Standard fiscal policy is going to say decrease taxes. But the MMT people are going to say increase taxes. So these are completely opposite policies to achieve the same goals, but only one can be right or can be done. And the people who are traditionalists are going to say, if you increase taxes, you're going to really hurt yourself. I mean, what I would say is what an MMT— I'm not the, taking the, a side. The MMT, no, I, no, I completely understand that. I, I'm looking at the, 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 the people I follow— Regarding this, uh, regarding MMT, I think would say and have made this argument that, <clears throat> again, going back to the, what political, where there's political will, if there was some sort of uh, federal jobs guarantee, now maybe it would be infrastructure, dig a hole, but I mean we have. I just flew out of the Orlando airport, and it, and it fucking sucks. Let me tell you, I've been there. So any airport with a train is no good. I mean, usually bad, but I mean, or, Atlanta's not terrible, but anyhow. Um, so there are, that's the thing it, 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 in reality, there, there, there are things to be done. There are assets and resources that we have, whether it's labor, capital, 
all of these things. So because of that, you can decide to spend money and make sure that everybody has some sort of federal jobs guarantee. It's been there's a bunch of different theories about how you would manage it, how you would make sure that you know the, the different things. I know it's very complicated, but there are proposals that would do this. And so right at the beginning, it eliminates this idea that you would even have to deal with unemployment because your goal is to just get to full employment. So you don't even have to really deal with that issue. That's the way I see it from the, the people I'm reading. So I have a small comment and a big comment. Okay. The small comment is full employment in, in jargon is not zero unemployment, zero unemployment rate. Yeah, um, I mean, it depends how you measure it, but there would be there would be people there. Uh, there obviously there would be pensioners. There would be people who are well, disabled. Just, there I think would be a bunch of different. You would agree it's healthy for some people to be unemployed while they're searching for a better match. So just churn because yeah, yeah, of so yes. many opportunities available is a good thing. Right. It wouldn't be a hundred percent everybody working all at the same time. Right. But there right. would be some some sort of agreed, more or less full employment. Right. So, I I think. Certainly before 2008, that number was thought to be around 5%. I'd say, I think now it's probably a little bit lower, closer to 4.5%. But anyway, so that is a small comment. The bigger comment is, I think we're talking sort of in a skew to each other. How do you achieve full unemployment? I mean, the traditionalists are going to say, the way that we do that is we use monetary policy to indirectly affect the money supply through open market operations to balance inflation versus unemployment. Because if we drive unemployment too low, that'll make inflation go up for reasons I, can, I could talk about if you want me to. And that hurts the role of money as being a store of value in a unit of account. It would be like trying to build a house where your, where your ruler is changing sizes. Modern monetary theorists are also going to um, have the same goals, but their way of achieving those those goals are you might even say completely opposite. Yeah, I guess that's why I say going in the other other direction. But I, I, I well, explain what? How would you explain what? How they're trying to accomplish the the, the full employment. So I think it's fair to say that modern monetary theorists aren't as worried about inflation as certainly inflation hawks are. Oh, not, yeah, and absolutely. and even more than um, tr traditional oh, traditional no, macroeconomists. I, I would say this, and I, obviously I'm not an expert. I'm just somebody who's reading about it, and I know this is something that Ed's sitting in. He's he's interested in this too. It's like the. Uh, <clears throat> Modern monetary theorists don't dismiss uh, inflation at all. They they certainly say that there's there's got to be mechanisms. In fact, taxing the money back is one of right. the ways. But there are there, there needs to be some of those mechanisms in place to control that. But the the fears of hyperinflation, that's, I think they would say, are are very unfounded. Everyone because agrees. That's only happened under under very strange it, set of circumstances. Well, everyone agrees. That hyperinflation, that, that actually I think we've seen more often than maybe you're giving credit to, is extremely destructive. That's true. But um, I don't, but it's I, not common. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, very, it, it's, 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 it is. But I, like I said, that's what I would say. It doesn't happen. It's, it, it, it's not. It common. happens when there's no controls between, say, I'll just say an elected official 
and the person who adjusts the money supply, right? The whole point of the Federal Reserve being not elected is to protect against this. That being said, uh, 2% is, is the European Central Bank's official target for inflation. Why 2%? Maybe 4%, maybe 6%, maybe 8%. So I certainly, uh, I think the modern monetary theorists have um, a good challenge in saying there's no particular reason why 2% inflation is the magic number, and we're willing to sacrifice that maybe arbitrary number to achieve something much closer to the true full unemployment rate. Yeah, and I guess that's the point. Is The, the point that I take from it is that, for example, the idea that the EU sets 2% is just sort of a— Sort of a guideline. They feel like that's No, no, where... no. Th- that's their official policy. Yeah, but their official policy isn't... It's not like it's based it's on... It's a guideline in the U.S. Okay, right. Let me let me just correct. I, I, I'm not trying to say it's not their official policy, but what I mean is it's just... The, the folks who make the models and set it just think, based on the way they think, that that's the number it could be, as you said. If you, if you tweak this gauge this way and this gauge that way, it could be a different number. And so I think at least people who think about this kind of stuff sort of understand it at that level, that you could sort of turn these knobs and do this, and, and you could make changes in – because all of these things are not arbitrary, but they're not precise. It's not it's like we, we know this is the best uh, inflation rate or unemployment rate or whatever. I take a step back and say – well, what ideas are informing the choices that we're making, like the, the, these economists are making? What ideas are, are, like, why are we making these choices? And do we have an understanding that because we can spend, the, like, sort of like the cliche would be, and maybe this is the next topic we should talk about, the cliche would be the deficits don't matter. Right. So if a country – because they have fiat currency and they spend in this fashion and because it's, it's a country so big and so rich in resources that the, the deficit really is, is pretty much irrelevant because the bonds have never defaulted. They won't ever default because we print the money. And then if we had to do you – know, so that's sort of how I, I look at it like that. Well, well let me ask you a question. Like so I, I see this difference not so much as one being like – so here's an example. Your kitchen's on fire. I would say traditional economists and monetary modern uh, mon- modern monetary uh, theorists are going to say that's bad. We need to put out the fire. But what's what's and we have this tool called the fire truck that's arrived. But how do you use that tool? Do you use the water tool, part of that tool, or the foam part? And I think the state of the world is ninety percent, ninety five percent of traditional economists and politicians are say it's in the kitchen. It must be a grease fire. We're going to use the foam. And, and we're not going to even think about a test to see if that's the right thing to do. It's a different question to say, well, do we even care if there's a fire in the kitchen? And if you're saying that there's some associated lines of thought with modern monetary theory that questions even that, that may be true, but that that's a much more expansive sort of... Um, Political economy discussion. Well, see, I'm, I'm not sh- – that's true. I, I'm not going to – you're right. It's, it's a little more far-reaching. However, 
I will say that there's there's historical data to 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 say that there's that the relationship between because our economy, our federal spending works in this way. There's no relationship between a higher debt and less economic growth. No, there's not. There isn't. There's I mean, not. so because so you have Clinton got the got the balance of the budget, and then we went right in the fucking tank. Like, there's no relation. So I don't I don't necessarily think that that the idea of whether the deficits matter is arbitrary. I think there's factors. There is some. You always say you don't know whether it's a science or. A, Whatever. Art or science? It's an art or a science. Um, I don't know, but I think that there's 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 a there's a reasonable argument to be made that historically the the, the deficit what people call the deficit some people don't understand the difference between the deficit and the debt but whatever what, what people spending more than what they think we already have in taxes whatever that is and and then selling bonds that that has some impact on something and it doesn't. As a matter of fact, when we do it more, we seem to do better. No, I think that's true, but I don't think if you really want to talk about modern monetary theory, I don't think that that discussion matters because traditional monetary policy um, advocates would probably also say it doesn't matter. Do you think? I don't know. It doesn't seem that that's a that's a that's a very uh, that that argument's being made that often. I would say there's people who say that it does and it doesn't. I, but, but I think but, the people but, you're talking about, I'm, and I'm sort of guessing here, I'm sort of putting words in your mouth, are more like fiscal policy people. And they're probably sorry. people that don't like some kind of fiscal policy, we hope, because their electorate doesn't like it, and then are using this as some justification right. for that. Right. And, and I guess maybe that's the, that's the, that's the gist of it, right? It's like at least being able to pull that one veil down and sort of say they're sort of saying this to to make a political point, but really from an econ- from an economic standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. No, I, I actually think that that's the most important part. If anybody takes anything away from this conversation or modern monetary theory, if you're going to sleep or if it's boring to you, think of it like no, that. No, it's not boring. Come on, <laughs> well, you. I mean, you you've 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 let's be honest, you've dedicated your life to it. He's dedicated his life. He's so defensive. I didn't even have a reply to that. That, <laughs> that and bowling. That's true. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We're going to take a brief aside because Andrew, not only uh, is he a bowler, he's a curler. He's a, he's a frequent curler. But only recent. Not dedicated my life. That's true. I'm just showing that you have a you have I'm a, well-rounded. You have a, yeah, with, with so, nerd activities. Yeah, a lot of nerd. <laughs> I mean, there's tons of nerd activities as you can have probably Have you seen imagine. my Star Wars collectibles also? Don't ever show me your Star Wars <laughs> collectibles. I never want to see those. There's there's uh, if if somebody's going to be taught something. Like maybe they can't get through or the, or it's if if they're not familiar, they can't comprehend even some of the terms we use, but th- you you all you need to think of is there's the deficit the, it, that it's fear mongering. That's political fear mongering, right? To say that this is something that's we can we cannot do, or to say that when we approve it, when when we no th- people use the words of economics to cast some black magic spells to confuse and obfuscate for. The per- their own purposes or the purposes of their electorate, we hope. Yeah, I, I think the, the important thing is to think about giving somebody a – giving Amazon a tax abatement 
is wor- is 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 spending money in the same way as any other thing. People think that they that that has more of a benefit because there's all of these intangibles and it's a way to sort of. I personally know very few economists who think subsidies for firm location is a good idea. And and so again, and these are traditional economists. I mean, this yes, this is not I, yeah, way true, out of the that, mainstream. Yeah, yeah. No. And I, but it's but it's happening, and I feel like we're living in a like even the people who know how it works think, well, that's dumb. Don't do that. And so, but it's still happening. So that's why we're we're having this dry conversation. That's because, in some sense, economic thought doesn't drive these decisions. It's political thought, and um, it's just much easier to get elected on a platform of, look at all these jobs I created, even though I sold you all out for them, uh, than it is to explain why you rejected it. And I, and I guess the big, the big political sort of bit now is <clears throat> there's a lot of social issues we could address and we had to explain to people that, you know, if, if you think that they're important, we can just address them. There's other ways of, like, it's not like you have to check to see if there's money in the bank to get a new set of tires. It's not how it works. And so that's the sort of the idea I'm trying to foment in people. Like, if you at least understand how it works, maybe that will break the, 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 the spell. But there, let, let's Yeah, get, I mean, there's two deficits that I think history and theory have shown don't matter that much. For governance, and one is the budget deficit, the other is the trade deficit. Yeah, and that comes into play very big too, because people feel like the trade deficit's important, and they don't realize like we get we get the stuff that we want. Yeah, like, that's exactly there's no, right. There's no asset. People don't think about the asset. There is no real deficit because you're getting the stuff. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I mean, this is certainly. Change, that's shifting sort of, topic, but that's another. It's not really. I would I mean, totally that's like MMT. a deal where, like, I get something for nothing. Yeah, that's another. That's sort a great of, deal. That's another MMT thing. Is is sort of like understanding that there's another side of the ledger. You know, you're you're trading on. The I don't think that is another thing. MMT thing. That's a that's a thing in in standard stuff too. But the, but I think you, the difference is you think the standard economists or classical economists have the same view on trade deficits. Yes. Do they? I. The ones I know. You wouldn't know better than I would. I think so. I probably know two. I do think maybe a a difference is reading a horizontally across the ledger. Yeah. For every liability, there's a matching asset versus reading up and down the ledger about what are the additional line items. And that might be the best way to think about MMT is instead of, well, taxation is, is a government asset being offset by the liability that we all owe the government that it's actually a line item to create more jobs decrease the unemployment rate by creating this demand for this thing that's intrinsically worthless demand side yeah Yeah, demand side demand side no that's it yeah and i think people you know and, and and there is definitely a phony sort of political aspect to it but that's why i think it's important before we cut or take a quick break, let's hit one thing. Because you met, we mentioned inflation and hyperinflation. I don't want to. This is like a I, what I think is maybe the biggest uh, obstacle for this idea because people have this they have this sort of idea that <clears throat> if there's too much money chasing too few you know too few goods, that's what's going to happen, and so that. 
the outcome of spending this money that isn't deposited in the treasury is inflation or infl and I don't want to say hyperinflation. I think people understand that that's a very rare thing, but just inflation that would have some sort of uh, econ very bad economic impact. I don't think there's any evidence that that's true, but maybe you could explain sort of the baseline of it and then the theory part of it. And then yeah, so the so. reason why the European Central Bank doesn't target zero inflation, why it's 2% inflation, is because you do want the money supply to grow relative to the economy so that money's role as the medium of exchange and the facilitator of transaction expands with the population, with the number of transactions, with the economy, right? If you just, and this is why governments moved to fiat currency, because you were being tied down, they were being tied down by commodity-backed money in a very unhealthy way. So again, the, the, I think there's, there's, Two parts to inflation that can be damaging to the economy, only one that I'm personally scared of. Uncertainty about inflation versus inflation. Um, so again, I actually think the best example is if you were trying to build a house in your, your ruler to measure where your studs are was changing size. If you don't know how often or how much it's changing, that's going to make building a house up to code pretty hard. But even if it's changing, if your ruler is changing a lot, shrinking or growing, whatever, uh, but it's predictable, then you could always adjust for it. And so within reason, if your ruler changing size, like it doubles in length every 20 years instead of every 35 years, that seems reasonable. Right, that's the difference between uh, four percent inflation and two percent inflation. Does that make any sense? It does make a lot <laughs> okay. of sense. No, okay. I, I think that's the base. I think that's the baseline idea of why there can be. It's just sort of that. It's it's sort of wiggle room for all of these different techniques. You got a little wiggle room in there, and that's that's really what it Economies is. Economies don't like surprises. Yeah, and as long as you can keep it within a range where you know it's going to go this way or that way. Yeah, I think that's the, right. So the question is: Is two percent the right range? Or can we be more expansive and have it four or six percent, well below the thousands of percent in hyperinflation? Yeah, I, I, yeah and again, number number one being hyperinflation is, I would call it rare. But yeah. I would also say that even I don't even think that spent like you know understanding we could spend more money in, into the economy is necessarily going to create the inflation that people like intuitively would think it would only because these other techniques are available i mean do you is there a how would you how would do you think uh, an mmt economist would sort of talk about the inflationary impact of the theory and sort of what the theory would say about it or or do about it if it needed i just action? don't think that that's something that they particularly think is important and the reason they think that is they don't think that um, re higher but reasonable inflation rates are that are predictable are that bad. So yeah, I think that's probably right. I think of the of the of the material that I've read and listened to, I think that's probably right. They have arguments for why they think that. Probably number one because it's predictable. 
There's no reason to believe some of these other moves would create this problem because they haven't in the past. There's a, there's there's arguments to be made, but I think that in a nutshell, that's probably right. Is I they recognize it as a thing, uh, but not as a thing that would create any any kind of problem within that system. So they sort of dismiss it like that. Can we take a break now? Yeah, let's take a break. Have a beer. <laughs> So does it come down to like the, the political the political implications of it, or does it come down to explaining? At, or we just had a conference. Maybe this is a good way to start it. We just took a little break and had a conference, and my 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 pal Ed is here, Margaret's here. We all chimed in, and Ed made a point about what's being you know what's being discussed in public in the media about MMT. Related to you know politics and our freaking Twitterverse and dumb shit is sort of not uh, substantial enough for people to understand it, so they're not going to sort of break that spell we were talking about before. You're not going to get people um, to understand the pure political aspect of these arguments if you can't explain it better. Basically. But that's that's the reason why that? we're having this podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Is to to. Um... I think offer my perspective on some of these mm, political news items relating to MMT. Yeah, and maybe the idea that people uh, in the political realm sit and think about like these uh, kitchen table issues. You know, I couldn't run my business that way, or I couldn't run uh, my family's uh, you know checkbook that way. Well, but the government no, is not no, a, no, not no, a business. Yeah, and no, it's not a family. No shit. Yeah, that's the fucking dumbest shit you can hear. What's so, common? Uh, right, and so common. I feel like I feel like MM, the idea of MMT and sort of showing people how the government spends money, how they create money, how that all of the things that you mentioned, how they all work together, if we can explain it in a way that doesn't seem superficial or scary to people, that people will start to understand that all of that, all of those political tricks, you can't play them anymore. Um, and I guess maybe that's why we're having this conversation is to try to get people to understand that <clears throat> mod- the the big, most important thing about modern monetary theory to me and from my perspective is it's an explanation about how the world works today. It's not like, well, you know, it's not it's, it's not Milton Friedman in Chicago saying, well, if, 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 if I can just have a love child with Ayn Rand, the fucking world will work like this. It's explaining how the government spends money today. Although it's today. not a new idea. No, it's not. Um, it had another name a hundred years ago, like Chartalism. I did read that. That's, that's so. Weird. I'm so glad they changed that name. It's very important. That was actually probably. I the always most think cows when I hear that. I <laughs> I think a lot of weird shit, but I usually think a lot of weird shit anyway. But yeah, I think people just sort of need to understand, like. Look, I don't, I don't mind it becoming even more pronounced in in everyday conversation with respect to thinking about what money is in a different way. I, I'm a, a more skeptical of, of what you're saying in that I do think it has opposite policy prescriptions, and I'm not sure who's right. 
So in that sense, I don't think that we can say it's a description of the way the world works today. I think it's saying um, sort of sort of the analogy I made before that uh, we have a tool available to us, monetary policy, but we don't know if we need to use the water hose or the foam hose because we don't know what kind of fire we have. And it is fair to say that other than this small pocket of, of economists and more politicians who espouse MMT, we don't have a test yet for thinking about that. I guess I, 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 can you, can you uh, relate what you think those two or, or those choices are about taking action? Because I, I think that's where we're, we're, we're missing the boat is I, I sort of look at MMT is what we're telling you is you don't need the money in the bank to make, to do the spending because the spending works this way and we yeah. can control it over this thing. What you're saying is that in times of um, when, when an issue needs to be addressed, they're going to answer. They're, they're going to use these things, and we're going to use these, and we don't know who's right. No, so it's totally I, fair. Your point is totally fair and well taken. Which is, um, if we, if if the point of this podcast is to let the audience know that inflation doesn't have to be this uh, tool used to beat us into submission, and MMT is a way to break out of that. Um, paradigm i think i think that's totally reasonable and fair and should be espoused i think i win we should probably just stop it now no, i'm just kidding um yeah but i'm i am interested in this i what how would you describe maybe this will get dry and it'll all get cut out i don't care but when when you use that construction of sort of the different like <clears throat> you know the kitchen's on fire you're going to do this you're going to do that what are what what sort of um what sort of things are you talking about and what sort of results do you suspect they would have and why you're not sure about the efficacy of either one of them? Well, the thing specifically I'm talking about is what do you do with taxation? So the standard view is that taxation is part of fiscal policy. And when the kitchen is on fire, AKA a recession, that you would decrease taxation, go into government deficit, increase spending, Decrease taxation so that of the monetary base, most of that is physical cash or checking account deposits. It's like a Keynesian shit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And the with yeah. So the and the, so the flip side of the coin would be, I think MMT is going to say we should increase taxation to drum up more demand for currency and the monetary base will grow because of that and therefore money. So like the end result is the same. There's more money in people's pockets, currency and checking, checking deposits, but they're saying very opposite things about how you get there. And this is something that we should be able, like if we had a lab, we could test it, but I'm not willing to create that experiment on the U S economy. So people would have to be very clever to think about which one is actually right. Yeah, I guess that's true. And you know what? You, I, I got it now because, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run away from the fact that taxes should be higher on people that have the money. And so 
whether it's a first order thing, sort of like, and you look at it like, well, what's the important part of this theory? Well, this is what they would do in a in, in a recession, say. And I'm just like, ah, that's not important what they would do then. What's important is to understand how the spending works. But you're right. The the idea, I would say that MMT would prescribe in that scenario higher taxes to do exactly what you just said. But I, I and and you're right. But, I guess you but, don't you don't know. Yeah, I mean you don't know. And 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 to to, to be a little challenging to what you said earlier, uh, my sense is some uh, political MMT advocates are also obfuscating the issue a little bit because they want to uh, increase taxes for other reasons. And those might be good reasons, like more equality of, of money ac- across the population. Uh, less, di- less disparity, anyway. Yeah. And they know sort of a straightforward pronouncement of, this is what I want to do and why I want to do it. It's not going to fly. So that they are bringing in this almost archaic description of the world to justify it. Which I think is is um, is as deceitful as the def- as the inflation hawks. Do you think so? I mean, do you think that the, you think it's a it's a theory? And I guess that's why I go harping back to the theory that all of the all of the descriptions of how uh, monetary theory work in an economy like this that MMT describes are to me more or less accurate. We agree on those. So it's 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 yeah, pro- but it's provocative, I think, to say that perhaps MMT is a is a deceitful mechanism. Not deceitful is maybe a strong term, but a mechanism, a political mechanism that is being used uh, in nefarious ways when it seems fairly sound. No, but if you've decided that for for many good reasons, say you think taxes should go up, and then you just start collecting the arguments for why that's true. This is one that you can pull. But as you said, this is not a new argument. No, it's not. This is not like it just came. We just came up with it. We, I did it. Uh, it's not like it just it was, it was just brought up, you know, last year or by Bernie Sanders nope. or ten nope. years ago. This nope. is it's 100 no, years. I old. mean, you can go back to World War Two. Yeah, it's 100. But you years go old. back to you go back to Roosevelt, and you see that in a time of maybe other than the Civil War. In a revolutionary war, probably the biggest catastrophe of the country is the Great Depression and World War II. Uh, government spending went through the roof. The the, the the comparison to GDP is incredible. The taxes had to go up, and everything had to, and it and and it worked. So Don't forget like, the we, we did also the, the huge crisis of you know poor immigrants trying to cross the southern border. Well, again. <laughs> But 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 you see what I mean, like <clears throat> maybe there's an argument to be made that in it, when you look at the extreme examples of some of the things that have happened, just because we live in a world like this, that maybe we have done the experiment that you wanted to do, and it was very dangerous, and a lot of people died. Like f- I think 500 million Soviets died. But uh, I don't think so. I don't think we've really done done. I don't. Think- you don't think that that's enough of a. That's enough of an experiment. Those twelve years, or well, thirty-nine to maybe maybe it was little twenty-nine to forty-five. I mean, whatever. I think the closest thing might actually have been during the Great Depression, where um, like thirty-two, thirty-three, Roosevelt made a pretty abrupt abrupt change to policy. But even that, people 
can't agree. People who study these things can't agree if Roosevelt coming in and, and, and Hoover going out uh, extended the Great Depression because what got us out of that was war, ultimately, not economic policy. It just so, but uh, that's now that's true. But the war precipitated certain economic risks, or, or you know, Roosevelt was a great leader, so he said, "This is what we're going to do," and we did it. But you know, he he didn't know if it was going to work either, really. But it did. So the fact that that sort of monetary and fiscal policy worked in a situation of World War Two. Yes, they only did it because of World War II, but when they did it, it worked. So you're advocating war. See, you just turn it, you just <laughs> fucking turn the tables on me like that. No, what I'm saying is that <clears throat> I know how I can get the unemployment rate you, to zero. You made the, arg- you made the argument. You made the <laughs> argument that obviously any rational person would say that it's too dangerous to run an experiment like this on the U.S. economy. Right. And you're right. No rational person would do it. Yeah. But because we happen to be in a fucking crazy situation starting in about 1939, we actually did have to – we were forced to do it. So we did it, and it worked. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm saying I don't think there's enough evidence because that wasn't a pure experiment to say it couldn't have also been the other way. See, here's what I – this is what I get. These fucking thought experiments to sound like Alan Greenspan in Chicago again. Like, what I'm telling you is a word. Like, this 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 high theory about like pure, you know, if this worked this way and this worked that way, it's starting to drive me nuts. Because I'm I'm telling you that in the real world, in the U.S. economy, not that long ago in real time, they 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 did these things and this thing happened, but but yet, it's it's not. Good so, enough. So let's somehow. say let's it's not say, a good enough argument that we already did it. Once. Let's say I have cancer, and I go to the doctor, and the doctor says, "Well, we don't really have a theory of how cancer grows, so we don't really know a medicine that will prevent that happening." But I know a guy who had cancer, and someone punched him in the face, and his cancer went away. Well, you think there's no so there's no correlation between the the increase in government spending, the increase in taxes. Uh, the tr- getting basically zero unemployment, all of those, all of the things that happened in that time to to basically get out of the Great Depression and fight the war. I mean, I wouldn't minimize it to like some yeah, random. I'm saying I wouldn't it, minimize it to a random. It wasn't a random occurrence. What I'm saying is, I think the unique circumstances of a world war are more powerful than any lessons we learned about how fiscal and monetary policy work to get us out of the Great Depression. All right, that's fair. I can only, okay, fine. You're, you're, you're a trained professional. Fair enough. <clears throat> you know, people, we didn't solve everything today. In fact, I don't know if we solved anything. Uh, but we gave you more content. We're trying to teach you. We're trying to get you involved in some of the conversations that we're having and some of the important shit you should be reading. Some of you probably can't even read. In any case, we'll see you again soon. We'll be down here plotting the demise of the oligarchs of Chris Coons. And you know you live right near here. You can probably hear me talking right now. Should I say thanks for having me now? You just did. 
All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow on the farm. Left is best. <laughs>